Genesis chapter 49 and verse 28. Genesis 49 verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. Jacob, on his deathbed, has just blessed his twelve sons. And he has prophesied concerning the various destinies of the tribes of which his sons would be the founding fathers. So when dying, Jacob's priority is to make known the power and the sovereignty of the one true God. We thus see Jacob's faith expressing itself in a desire to impart God's truth to those he would be leaving behind. This is the nature of true faith. It longs to make known the word of God to others. Silent, private faith is not an option for the Christian. In fact, not infrequently one hears people say, oh, my faith is a very private matter. Well, if you are a born-again Christian, you make known your faith. The souls of other men are far too precious for us not to make known God's truth to them. This is why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And he said writing to the Corinthians necessity is laid upon me yea woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And so Paul knew this inward constraint to make known God's salvation in Christ. But even if we are not actually called to be preachers, and most Christians are not called to be preachers, there must be this inward desire to make the name of the Saviour known to all those around. This is part and parcel of true faith. Longing to make known the gospel to others. Someone who professes to be a Christian but has no desire to impart the gospel to others cannot be a true Christian. In Psalm 40 and verse 9, 
David declares, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord. Thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. So it is a duty of real faith to testify to the truth of God's word. You see, our Lord also warned his disciples in Mark 8 and verse 38. He said, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so the Lord will severely judge those whose faith has proved to be an empty faith by a reluctance to give witness to it to others. Now, this necessary witness includes confronting the particular sins of any age. And this is an absolutely essential part of preaching the gospel. We cannot just tell non-believers to repent of sin without actually defining what sin is. We must never resort to the compromising argument that Preaching a general gospel message exonerates us from referring to specific sins which society is embracing and promoting. And so our task is to demonstrate our faith and exhibit our faith to those around us. We cannot keep this precious truth to ourselves. Now we read in verse 29 here. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Now here is a wonderful testimony by Jacob to his sons about his faith. First of all, he gives witness to the certainty of life after death. He declares that he will be gathered to his people. This expression does not mean simply that he will be buried in the same place as his relatives. It means that he will join with the spirits of those who have departed this life in the faith. Death gathers believers to their fathers, 
to their people in the other world. Those who have believed the same promises of God as Jacob has are those who are his people. And so Jacob is to be gathered to, for example, Abraham and to Isaac and all the saints who have gone before. Now, we read in verse 33 here, when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Here we see that long before his burial, Jacob's death, his spirit departing from his body, is called being gathered unto his people, as we have just seen in verse 29. So when a believer in Christ dies, he is gathered immediately to his people. To the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven. So in this verse 29, Jacob is giving a clear testimony to his sons that his spirit will be gathered to an eternal realm of happiness. We thus learn that true faith possesses an assurance of everlasting life. Now when the Apostle Paul was on trial before Felix, he similarly gave expression to this great faith which he had and he expressed it in front of a non-believer. Acts 24, verse 15, Paul says, I have hope toward God that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And then in verse 21 of Acts 24, he says, Touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. So we see there that at the heart of Paul's preaching was a public testimony to the truth that the soul of a man lives on after death. For the just, the soul lives on in eternal blessedness. For the unjust, there will be what the Lord Jesus Christ called the resurrection of damnation. Now in verse 30 here, uh, Jacob says, Bury me in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. Now here Jacob gives an instruction 
that his earthly remains be carried back to the land of Canaan. And by doing this, he is making a further testimony to his faith in God's promises. He was presently in Egypt. He and his family do not yet possess the land of Canaan. All that Jacob currently possesses in the promised land is a burial plot. And we have the details of it there in verse 30. And we learn to whom it originally belonged. However, Jacob desires to use this burial plot in anticipation of God's promises being fulfilled. So when he says, bury me in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, he is asserting his faith in the truth of God's promises. And he goes on in verse 31 concerning this burial plot. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And so we are being given much detail about this burial plot. So it must be of significance. Now Jacob has been living as an exile in Egypt for the last 17 years. But he believes God's promise that his descendants will one day be a nation occupying the land of Canaan as their own land. He believes that promise. He cannot begin to imagine how it could possibly work out, but he believes it. God has told him this, and he trusts in God's word. So this burial and this desire to be buried in this place is a statement of faith. Likewise today, the burial of a Christian is a statement of faith. It is a public testimony. It is the planting of a seed in the earth which will one day result in new resurrection life. We are told in Hebrews 11 and verse 21 concerning Jacob's faith. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. So there in the New Testament, it is confirmed to us that Jacob, though frail in body, died in strong faith, asserting to his sons and grandsons the truth of God's word delivered to him many years 
earlier. And so Jacob carried on trusting what God had spoken. Those years earlier, Genesis 28, verse 12, the Lord appeared to Jacob, spoke to him. 28, 12, he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Then he says in verse 14, And in thee and in thy seed shall all the nations, the families of the earth, be blessed. Jacob believed not only in the promise of the land, but in the far deeper promise of that which the land was but a token of. Namely, the promise of a descendant who would be the saviour of mankind. He in whom all the nations of the earth would be eternally blessed. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God, in the age in which we live has finally and completely revealed his purposes to mankind. We have, in the completion of the New Testament, the total revelation of God. There's no new information that we need to know as human beings which has not already been revealed. And so in the Bible... We now have the sum of God's revelation for all time. Now, true faith believes all that God has spoken in his word. And it trusts all of the promises. And we have to believe what God has said in his word. Just as Jacob on his deathbed showed that he believed the promises of God now Jacob dies we read as we move to chapter 50 verse 1 Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him and Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel, Israel being the other name for Jacob. So the great patriarch of the nation of Israel, Jacob, dies at the age of 147. That is how old he was. 
He dies not in his own land, but in Egypt, where Joseph, his son, is the prime minister. Jacob's body is embalmed according to the Egyptian custom to prevent its rapid deterioration. It is, after all, to have to go on a journey. And so we read here of Joseph's preparation of the body for the journey to Canaan. Even this preparation is a testimony to Joseph's faith. He knows that Jacob's instructions concerning his burial must be obeyed. Joseph also believes God's promises about the special destiny of Jacob's descendants. So we are told in verse 3 here, 40 days were fulfilled for him. 40 days of mourning for Jacob. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. So, the intricate embalming process uh, took forty days. And the Egyptians mourned for Jacob for seventy days. Honouring him as the eminent father of their nation's first minister. Now, is this not remarkable? The Egyptians, officially mourning for 70 days, the father of their first minister. Now, that is a testimony in itself to the character of both Joseph and Jacob, that these idolatrous non-believers see in these two men of faith a great integrity which they feel must be honoured. And as we think of Joseph and the impression he created upon the Egyptians we see the deep esteem which they felt for him and his family in this 70 days of mourning you see even non-believers cannot but recognise holy conduct they often despise the message which we have but they cannot help but recognise if we are being holy people. And so these idolaters honour Jacob out of respect for Joseph. And then we read in verse 4, And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, 
If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. Verse 6. Pharaoh said, Go up, and bury thy father, according as he hath made thee swear. Now, we remember, of course, that Joseph is in the employ of Pharaoh. He's not his own master. Uh, He is in the service of the king of Egypt. And the Israelites are subject to Egypt's authority. And unless God gives specific revelation otherwise, the authority of the Egyptians must be honoured. And so this is why Joseph asks permission to be able to take the body of Jacob to the land of Canaan. Uh, And in God's providence that permission is granted. Joseph also desires that large numbers of the Israelites accompany Jacob's body to Canaan that they might be in attendance at his funeral. And so it was only right that Pharaoh's permission be sought. And this teaches us another principle about true faith. True faith is respectful of the laws of the land. A Christian should be a good citizen. As Christians, we willingly submit to the secular authority, except when to do so conflicts with the law of God. Joseph, as we see here, is held in such high esteem in Egypt. And this is why Pharaoh so readily grants his Request to take his father's body to Canaan. So we read in verse 7 And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren. And his father's house. Only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. Uh, Goshen was the region of Egypt where the Israelites lived. Verse 9 And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. Now, again, this is remarkable. It shows us just how much the Egyptians must have revered both Joseph and Jacob. They even supplied the great 
funeral cortege with a military escort. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's servants accompanied the Israelites on their journey to Canaan. And so again, this is a great testimony to the faith of Jacob and Joseph and how much the Egyptians respected them. The Egyptians could not but notice that faith in Israel's God had an utterly wholesome, transforming effect on the lives of those two men. This is what people in the world should be seeing in us. An utterly wholesome, transforming effect upon the way in which we live. And of course, it was because of Joseph's character that he was appointed to be Pharaoh's chief minister in the first place. And Joseph's character was an expression of his faith in God. And so we see what a positive effect true faith can have upon those around us if we are living faithfully. Genesis 41 verse 38 reminds us Pharaoh said unto his servants can we find such a one as this is a man in whom the spirit of God is Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Why was Pharaoh so impressed by all the qualities which Joseph possessed. It was because of the effect which Joseph's faith in God had upon his life. His faith made him wise. His faith gave him an authority. His faith even produced a a certain sense of awe in, in others who looked upon him. There's a wise man. Can we find such a one as this is? A man in whom the spirit of God is. And do others look at us and say, there is a person in whom is the spirit of God. And remember it was idolatrous non-believers looking at Joseph and coming to this conclusion. And so, true faith, if if we are working that out in our lives, has a purifying influence 
upon those around us. We really can have an effect upon this dark and godless world because we are its only salt and light. And so this reminds us of Paul's words to the Philippians. Philippians 2 verse 14. Be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Is our conduct as Christians such that we are bringing light to the lost, God-rejecting society in which we now live? Are we personally leading such holy lives and making a stand for righteousness that others around us sit up and notice? We, as believers in Christ, are the world's only salt and light. We are the only purifying influence that society has. Without believers in Christ, society will just crumble away in absolute rottenness. We as Christians are keeping this God-rejecting society around us going. Otherwise, God would just finish with it completely. And without our witness before men, this whole world is just a scene of putrefying rottenness and darkness. We are the light of the world and even those idolatrous Egyptians could see the light in the heart of Joseph and of Jacob now we are told of the funeral cortege in verse 10 that they came to the threshing floor of Atad which is beyond Jordan and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And so let us note the significance of the location. Beyond the Jordan. In the land which God would one day give to Jacob's descendants. The promised land. Verse 11. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore the name of it was called Abel Misraim, which is beyond Jordan. Now we have a reference there, as we did in verse 10, to the floor of Atad. Now, Uh, This may refer to a flat region, a plain area, 
which was covered with thorn bushes. This region was on the border between Egypt and Canaan. It was called the floor of Atad. And there, this great act of mourning took place. And so the Canaanites uh, called the place Abel Misraim, which means the mourning of Egypt. Now, let us note how many Egyptians are involved in this funeral. It's the funeral of Joseph, uh, of Jacob. He, he, he was not an Egyptian. But there were so many Egyptians present that the Canaanites thought it was an Egyptian funeral. And this is because the Egyptians were so overwhelmed by the impression that the man of God, Jacob, and also, of course, Joseph, had had upon them. And so the Egyptians were prepared to honour someone who feared the one true God, who so obviously did so by his manner of life. And so what we are learning here is that both Jacob and Joseph had shown by their works of obedience and holiness that their faith was a real faith. And how they impressed the Egyptians. In Hebrews 11 and verse 13... The author to the Hebrews is speaking of Abraham and Isaac and also of Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having received them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. And so Jacob died in faith. Joseph was a man of real faith. They showed their faith by their works. They showed their faith by their holiness of life. And so we learn from this account of the burial of Jacob about the nature of true Christian faith. And there are five characteristics of true Christian faith which we can identify. Firstly, true faith longs to make the gospel known to others. True faith longs to make God's word known to others. And we see this in the way Jacob was speaking about the providence of God on his deathbed to his sons. Secondly, we see that true faith possesses an assurance of everlasting life. Jacob had this wonderful hope of being gathered to his people, the 
the believers of his family who had gone before him. Thirdly, we see that true faith believes all that God has spoken in his word and trusts all of God's promises. This desire of Jacob to be buried in Canaan showed that he believed God's promise that the people would be given that land one day. His descendants would be. True faith believes the word of God. Fourthly, we see that true faith manifests itself in holy conduct which the men of this world cannot but recognise. Are we having such an impression on those around us by our holiness that that non-believers cannot but recognise that we are different, not to our own glory, but because of the grace of God working within us. And fifthly, we see that true faith has a purifying influence in this dark world of unbelief. If we are being faithful, then we are giving to the world around us salt and light. We are a purifying influence. This is a corrupting, rotten world. We are the only source of purification because we know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what enormous potential we have as Christians to make a difference to this godless world in which we live. And we can do so if we are faithful. Might we then be those who have real faith which manifests itself by its works of obedience and holiness. Amen.